and good morning, Crossroads family. It's so good to be with you on this beautiful Sunday morning, and uh, we're just excited to be able to dive into God's Word together, and uh, as we continue our series in the book of Luke, we're looking at bringing Jesus into focus in the year of 2020, and boy, do we need it with the times that we're living in and with all the circumstances that we're facing together. We just really need to understand what God's will is for our lives and what Jesus has to say and the things that he has done for us. We just need to really understand those things and be able to um, follow his example in the way that he lived, the way that he spoke, and the way that he prayed. And so this morning, I just want you to join me in a word of prayer as we dive in and take a look at Luke chapter 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. We praise you for who you are. God, you're a great God. You're slow to anger, abounding in love. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God, we thank you for all the great gifts you have given us. The things that we have, the blessings that we enjoy. God, help us to be grateful for those things each and every day. And God, we repent that sometimes we do not live up to what we should be doing for you, God. That we sometimes neglect some of our responsibilities. Sometimes we turn our back on your ways. And God, sometimes we, we choose our own way. God, we just repent of that mindset, that heart set this morning. God, we want to get on your path. God, we want to get connected to you in a deeper and greater way today. And God, we ask that you might move in our hearts this morning, move into our minds and, and, and transform them so that we can understand your will. And God, let it not be our will that prevails, but yours. God, as we yield to you in every way this morning, that you convict us through your Holy Spirit. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have a question this morning I wanted to throw out and start with, and that is this. What's the most powerful weapon in war? The reason I ask that question is because this morning's passage really is dealing with war. It's dealing with a battle. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this battle. It talks about the necessity to go into life armed because we face a battle each and every day. And that battle is not a human battle. It's not something that, that is waged in, in terms of our world, but it's, it's waged in the spiritual realm. And so we face a battle each and every day, a battle of, of our will, a battle of which way we're going to go in terms of choosing what God has to say or choosing our own way. And so I want to think about this concept of what's the most powerful weapon that we could possibly carry into war. And I'm going to give an example back to World War II, and you might remember that Germany blitzkrieged through Europe. First they stormed through Poland, and then they stormed through France. And on paper, the French should have been able to put forward a greater resistance. As a matter of fact, their military was the talk of the world at that time. They had tanks that were superior to those of, in Germany. They had the latest uh, airplanes. They had the, the, the latest technology when it came to some of their military equipment. And yet for for an important reason that we're about to, to talk about, the Germans just went right through them like knife through butter. 
And, and the, the question is, why? Why were the Germans able to uh, defeat the French so easily? And really it comes back to our question. What's the greatest weapon that one can have in war? And it's communication. You see, the Germans had the technology of the radio. All of their tanks were equipped with that technology. Their airplanes had that technology. And the French were still stuck in the 19th century. They were using signal flags out on the battlefield, trying to signal where to maneuver and which direction to take. And because of that lack of communication, they weren't able to deal with things in real time. And because the Germans had the radios, because they had that ability to communicate effectively, they were able to just outmaneuver and outflank the French, who offered very little resistance as the German panzer tanks went through the countryside and overwhelmed them. You see, the disciples had begun to understand something as they followed Jesus through the countryside, and that's this. They, they began to realize that they're they were in a war. They were in a battle. You see, Jesus had sent them out a couple of times now. And he wanted them to understand that when you go out and minister, when you go out and you, you seek to live and follow my example, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face the strongholds of hell. And what they realized is they were dealing with demonic forces. They were trying to cast out demons. They were trying to do things in Jesus' name. And, and many times they were struggling at those tasks. And yet they watched their master, their example. They watched Jesus be effective in all of those things. And they realized that there was a strength, a power that Jesus was harnessing that they seemed to not quite have a grip on yet. And they began to realize that that was coming through his communication with the Father. You see, Jesus set an example throughout his life and throughout his ministry of prayer. And here's the, the second person of the Trinity, the one who has existed from eternity past, Jesus Christ, who is relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and his relationship with the Father through, the, through communication and through prayer to be effective in his ministry and to set an example for his disciples that they weren't to rely on their own strength, they weren't to rely on their giftedness, they weren't to rely on all the things, their experience. The thing that they were to rely on, the secret weapon of the war, was prayer. Join me in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, as we pick up this morning's passage. Luke 11, 1 says this, He, speaking of Jesus, was praying in a certain place. Once again, setting the example. He began his day in prayer, and many times he ended his day in prayer. And throughout his day, he spoke to the Father. Jesus was definitely a man of prayer. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John has also taught his disciples. John, speaking of John the Baptist, had a group of disciples, and certainly they were on the front lines of ministry. They were confronting Israel with their sin and calling people to repentance. And because of that, they were facing many 
people who were opposing their work and their ministry. And so John knew that the power to maintain and to persevere was found in the relationship that he had with God. And he would go to the Father in prayer, and he taught his disciples to do the same. And here are Jesus' disciples realizing that, Jesus, you set the example for us. You go before the Father regularly. We need what you have. Lord, teach us to pray. This morning's message is entitled, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, how many times do we think that um, we understand the concept of prayer? I think certainly we understand the idea of prayer is a talking to God. And yet, what is it that God wants to hear? What is it that should be a part of our prayers? What is it that is effective in terms of, of relating to our Father in heaven? And that's really what the disciples were interested in. They weren't just interested in trying to somehow, yo, yo, Jesus, you're my homeboy, and that kind of thing. They weren't, they weren't interested in just that part of the relationship. They were interested in, like, how do you access the power of heaven? Because, Jesus, we've seen it in you. We've seen it in your ministry. And we want it as a part of our lives and as a part of our experience. We recognize that we're in for a war. We're in for a spiritual battle as we begin to take up your cross and follow you throughout our lives. And so we need what you have. You have access to the Father, and you have this ability to just center yourself on prayer. And it just brings this power, it brings this peace with God that we want to experience personally. And they went to him and asked to learn how to pray. The next section, I'm going to invite... One of our missionaries, his name is Brian Upton, uh, one of the Crossroads missionaries that we support here. Um, he was homegrown in this church. Uh, Andy and Cindy's son, uh, for those of you guys who know Andy and Cindy Upton, uh, one of their sons who grew up in our youth group. I was his youth pastor, so he's a son in the faith. I'm very proud of him and his ministry and, and his wife and his family. And They're serving down in Ensenada, Mexico with an organization called Youth with a Mission. And uh, this, this past week, it was, it was almost like God sent this right on time, but Brian had been teaching through this same passage. And he has a little blog, and he put out a, a message that I thought, wow, this is right on topic. So I gave him a call this week, and I said, hey, Brian, short notice, but would you be willing to teach this section that we're looking at this morning, and go ahead and send us, send us that? And he he uh, wholeheartedly agreed, and he put together a video um, teaching through and explaining some of the things, some of the nuggets of truth that he found in this next section. And so we're going to go ahead and introduce that video right now. Brian? I've been thinking about this idea of prayer, and I think one of the biggest questions people have in regards to their faith is, how do I pray? I know for me personally, this has been a question that I've really had to wrestle with in my 20-ish years of being a Christian. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I've kind of come to the realization that for a long period of time, I was doing this wrong. Um, and I don't mean to say that there is a right or a wrong way to pray, uh, but I think for me, I would often go to prayer in times of need or when there was a sin in my life that I needed to uh, 
you know, correct um, and, you know, seek forgiveness in. And I think those are really good things to be praying about. But when that becomes the only thing we're praying about, I think a prayer life then becomes pretty shallow. Um, so, I, you know, I've had this question, you know, God, how do I pray? Teach me how to pray. And I think we're in a lot of luck because we see the disciples are also asking this question. We see it in Luke um, chapter 11, where the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Um, and we get to see that Jesus, you know, gives them a time of teaching. And I think one thing that's really interesting is the fact that um, Jesus didn't initiate this conversation. Uh, he didn't initiate this teaching. He waited until his disciples were ready to learn what it means to pray and how to actually pray. Um, I think, you know, this is something that we need to recognize that if we want to have a strong and thriving prayer life, we have to want to pray. It's not something that we can only do out of obligation because I think that's when we're going to face a lot of challenges um, and feel like we're not really getting anywhere in our times of prayer. Um, so when we look at this passage of the Lord's Prayer, um, I think Jesus sets a really clear example for us. Um, we can actually read this passage in Matthew 6, 9-13, as well as Luke 11, 2-4. Um, the passage in Luke kind of just gives us an abbreviated version of what the Lord's Prayer is in the book of Matthew. Uh, but both of them give us a really clear understanding of what it looks like to pray and what Jesus says is an effective way to pray. Um, and I think there's four points that we could pull from um, this prayer that will help us in all areas of our prayer lives. And that would be praise, repent, ask, and yield. I think these are four key elements to a life of prayer. And if we just remember the word pray, we'll be able to remember these four points. So praise, repent, ask, yield, P-R-A-Y, pray. So when we look at this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it just starts out with, Heavenly Father, I praise you because your name is holy. It's a moment of giving praise to God because he is holy, he is good. Um, and so we get to see that prayer is or praise is an important aspect when we enter into a time of prayer. Uh, we see a little bit later on, forgive us our debts or our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is a moment of repentance. I repent for my sins, God, and I, just as you are extending your forgiveness to me, I also should be extending that forgiveness to those people who have wronged me, sinned against me. Um, and I, I want to enter into a right relationship with you and the people around me. So we get that um, aspect of repentance. Next, we can look at what it means to ask. In, uh, in this prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. And I think this is um, a reference back to the Israelites in the wilderness, God provided for them daily um, in the form of manna. They had what they needed that day. And so it's just recognizing, God, you are my provider. Um, and I, I, I want to acknowledge that. I want to be content with what you've given me today. I don't want to look at 
you know, what are my needs for tomorrow? What happened yesterday? I want to focus on today and um, yeah, ask you to just continue to provide for me, help me to rely on you and on your, your goodness and your faithfulness to provide for me. And then we can move on to that fourth step of yield, yielding. And we get to see in this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's God, I yield to your will in my life. I want what's, what your best is over what I think is best. And so it's recognizing that God is the ultimate good and that we should be yielding to the things that he's calling us to or the things that he's doing are in our lives over what we hope for and um, expect to happen. Um, and I think if we want to have a thriving prayer life, we really need to keep our prayers God-centered instead of self-centered, which is what I think I had really struggled with, um, is really focusing on me, myself, and I. Um, and we have to know who we're praying to, you know? We, we're not going to be able to praise God if we don't know who he is. We're not going to be able to repent if we don't know who he is um, and understand our reason to repent. Um, and I think we're going to just see in all of these different points that um, it's just so key to know who we are praying to. And I think what's amazing is that Jesus gives us these examples um, throughout the Gospels. We get to see him um, have moments where his prayer is filled with praises, where he's repenting um, on behalf of others, um, where he is asking for certain things, and where he's ultimately just yielding to the will of the Father. And um, so if we look in Matthew, we get to see um, a moment where Jesus is praising God in his prayers. And in Matthew eleven twenty five through 26, it says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so Jesus is praising God for the way he reveals himself. He's, he's thankful. He has a moment of thanksgiving for, to God for the way that he chooses to reveal his um, greatness to um, humanity. In Luke, we get to see Jesus repenting on behalf of his accusers, those who are pressing, oppressing him, those who are persecuting him. And in Luke 23, 34, it says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is forgiving his debtors just as that prayer, the Lord's prayer says to do. Um, and I think that's really key that um, we recognize that it's God who forgives sins. Uh, but we also have a part to play in forgiving those who have wronged us. If we want to have a right relationship with God, we also have to have a right rela relationship with our neighbors. Um, as we continue in Mark, we see that Jesus is asking God to change something um, in his life. Mark 14, 36 says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so he's asking God, um, this is shortly before he's, um, you know, entering into his uh, moment of sacrifice on the cross. Um, he's saying, God, if there's anything you could do, remove this cup from me. Um, but we also see him yielding, saying, but not what I will, um, but what you will. Um, and then as we look into the Gospel of John, we also see another example of Jesus yielding to God's will. In John 12, 27 through 28, it says, 
now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so we see that this is again um, leading up to Jesus's ultimate sacrifice. And he says, what am I supposed to do? Say, save me from this? But no, this is what I've come for. Jesus recognizes and understands that he has come to earth for this ultimate sacrifice. And so he's yielding to God's will, God's ultimate plan for humanity, for salvation. And so Jesus really sets a perfect example for us to see what it means to pray and what it means to pray effectively and in all aspects of our life. Um, so I think we just need to remember when we want to go to God in prayer, we just have to remember to pray so praise, repent, ask, and yield. And I think these are really key elements that if we can just um, start our prayer lives real simple with these four steps or um, four key elements, I think that's going to really open up our prayer life. And so I hope this is encouraging for you guys. It's been really encouraging for me. I feel like I just have a greater sense of direction um, for my prayer life. And I hope that this really helps you guys as well. Thank you. Wow, that was fantastic. I want to thank Brian again for just his work in, in unpacking that section of our, our text this morning. Uh, what a great job. What a simple yet profound way to remember how Jesus wants us to pray. Just P-R-A-Y. Next time that you are thinking about prayer, just have that come back into your mind that we need to praise, we need to repent, we need to ask God, and we need to yield to God. And uh, we can have such a, a more deep and, and enriching experience as we communicate with our loving Heavenly Father. I want to take this moment just to pray for Brian, his wife Ellie, and their family who are serving, uh, even as we speak, down in Ensenada, Mexico. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for Brian and Ellie. I thank you for their commitment to you. I thank you for the ways that they humbly serve you day after day, God, even in the midst of uh, this trial and tribulation in our world, God, they have remained faithful. They decided to stay where you had planted them, to be effective ministers for you. And God, I just pray that you might bless them, that you might protect them, that you might be with them, give them a, a special dose of your encouragement in the Spirit. God, as they are faithful to minister your word to the students who are studying there, uh, through the YWAM School of Discipleship. God, I thank you for Brian's heart to minister your word, the gifts that you've placed in him. God, I pray that you'll continue to grow him and continue to, to expand his effectiveness in ministry. For your glory, we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So number one... Uh, we want to pray our Father loves communication. That's what we've learned through our text this morning. We need to follow the example of Jesus. Isn't it great that Jesus didn't just instruct with words to his disciples how to pray? No, he, he exemplified prayer throughout his life on earth. Every single one of those P-R-A-Y had been demonstrated over and over again in the life of Jesus and his ministry. The disciples could, could line up those things that he had outlined for them here in verses 2 through 4 in the book of Luke with what he had actually shown them day after day after day in his prayer life. See, 
he's not a hypocrite. Jesus actually walks the walk, and he talks the talk. And, we, and we're grateful to have a Savior who is willing to show us the way, not just tell us. I know as a dad that there's times where I, you know, I, I want to say, do as I say, and then I don't want to get off the couch, right? But that's not our Lord. Our Lord is faithful to always model for us what he's asking us to follow and do ourselves. So pray. Our Father loves communication. We can look to the example of Jesus. And number two is the rest of our text, and it's persist. Our Father loves his children. Look to him for everything you need. Join me in verse 5 here. And Jesus is about to make an argument from the lesser to the greater. And it's, it's sort of a, a lawyer's argument that if, if this is true, and he, and he presents something that's very, like, lowest level, um, something that's very simple, something that you wouldn't expect to have happen, and yet it's true even in that case, how much greater should it be true in the case of the greater example of God the Father and all his resources and all his love? And so join me in verse 5. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Jesus wants to give us an example of this idea of how important prayer is and how we should continue to persist in our prayers to our loving Heavenly Father. And so he tells this little story. And this story was likely not true. It's likely a parable. But he's giving an example of something that the people could relate with in that day. And I think we can still relate to this example today. I mean, I imagined this scenario myself last night. I got in bed, and by midnight, I'm, I'm pretty much like groggy and out of it, and I'm on my way to, to blissful dreams. And yet, if somebody was to knock on my door and ask to borrow some flour, I'd be like, what are you doing? Quit bothering me. You know, go away. You know, I don't have anything to give you, and I'm settled in, into bed for the night. And if they kept pounding and said, I need flour, you got to give me some flour, eventually, man, I might, I might have to get up just to make them go away, right? And so there's this sense of like, okay, Jesus, we can understand this concept, but are you relating the Heavenly Father to a grumpy, lazy, uh, you know, sleepy uh, neighbor? Is that, is that what you're trying to communicate here? And, and no, that's not at all what Jesus is communicating. Jesus is not saying that the Father in heaven is grumpy, lazy, harsh, irritated at our requests. No. He's just given an example that if it's true in this case, how much greater would it be true that the heavenly Father would, would respond to the request of his children whom he loves, who persist to go to him with their needs and their requests. Jesus is saying God considers us his children, his friends. God knows about and cares about our needs before we even ask. 
but he wants us to acknowledge him as our only hope, as our only source to fulfill the needs that are in our lives. He is the God of limitless resources, and he wants us to acknowledge that, to go to him over and over again with this idea that, God, you're the only one that can fill me up. I'm not leaving this door, the door to heaven, through Jesus Christ. I'm not leaving knocking on that door until I get what I need because I, I have nowhere else to go. Where else would I turn to go get my needs fulfilled except for to go to you? And so I'm going to continue to sit here and pound and I'm going to continue to knock because there's nowhere else for me to get filled up than you. Amen. Isn't that a great concept? But what's more, and, and I spent some time this week really trying to understand this, this passage and really digging deep into some word studies. And it, it was really neat what God showed me, and I want to share that with you this morning. There's a Greek word here that is only used one time in the Bible. Nowhere else is it ever used in the Bible except for right here in Luke. And it's this word that is translated persistence. Remember again, it was in verse 8 that it says, yet because of his friend's persistence. Other places, it's translated shamelessness. Other English translations of the Bible uh, translate it boldness. Impudence is even used in, in certain translations. And really, it's this idea of shameless audacity. I think about this because I'm a dad. And there's times where when my kids were, especially when they were little, and, I, and I'm a pastor, and so there's times after church that I'm interacting with folks here in the church family. And I'm really trying to give them my attention. And yet my kid comes up to me and starts pulling on my finger. Right? Daddy, daddy, daddy. Daddy, it's an emergency. I need you right now. And I'm like, calm down, calm down. I'll be with you in a second. I'm, I'm really trying to focus on this need of this person pouring out their life. And, and unlike God the Father, I can only deal with one thing at a time. And yet, my child usually because of that relationship that they have with me and that, that feeling that I can go to my dad anytime and he's not going to throw me to the curb. He loves me, he cares about me, and man, this is the biggest need in my life. Right now I need a donut from the cafe. And, they, and they're asking for a parent permission before I can go get one. And so i got to keep yank, yanking on my dad's finger and, and then he start kicking his leg and whatever i got to do to get his attention. It's shameless audacity, it's persistence. It's this Greek word. And so we've all seen it, we've all experienced it as parents with our children where they're just, they're, they won't give up. They keep asking because they know that that's the only way they can get their needs met or their perceived need. I don't know if a donut's a need, but Sam Cantrell thinks it is. I know, Sam loves donuts and uh, I was jealous he went and got his daughter one yesterday. He didn't bring me one. Sam, next time, if you're watching... Um, I love donuts too. So it's this, it's this Greek word that's translated, but, but, but deeper than this, it has a dual meaning. It was used in that culture in that day to represent two different opposing ideas that kind of came together as one thought. And this is what I thought was very interesting. It can refer to, a, to the man making the request as being shameless, persistent, and that's the way it's translated most, most often in our English translations of our Bible. But in the Middle East, 
one's hospitality was seen as an indication of pride or shame to one's household. In other words, the way that you took care of a visitor or a guest or someone in need was an indication of whether your household was a good household, a, a, a household to be praised, or whether it was a shameful household. One that if you turned away someone who was in need, shame on you. That is just wrong. You should never, ever do that. And you would be shunned by society if you were known to be of that nature and of that character. And so there was, that, there was this sense of, in the Middle East, in that culture, and, and to Jesus' audience, there was this sense that, yeah, this guy's coming to the door, and he's got a guest in his house that has arrived, and he doesn't have what he needs to take care of the guest. Well, it would be shameful if he wasn't able to provide for that need. It would be a reflection on him. And if you don't get out of your bed and take care of that need, it's going to be a reflection on you and in your household as well. To not take care of the needy at one's door would bring shame on the entire house. And God cares about his reputation in our world. God cares about who he is seen to be in our world. His reputation is most clearly at stake when it comes to meeting the needs of his people. When it comes to keeping the promises to his own people, that's when God's reputation is at stake. Throughout the scriptures, you will notice that as his people cried out for help, for deliverance, for mercy, he would act in miraculous many times ways to raise up leaders, to raise up deliverers, to go and rescue his people, to meet their need to make sure that the world knew that there was a God in heaven who was going to keep his promises to his people. He's the true God. He, was the, he is the mighty God, mighty to save. When, God, when God's people pray, God's reputation is at stake. The way he cares for his children is a witness to the world that he can be trusted, that he's going to keep his promises to his people. There's an author, Phillips Brooks, who once said that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His highest willingness. Persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind, but to get ourselves to a place where we can trust God with His answers. You see, God wants to maintain His reputation, His glory in the world. And He does so when his people pray. And so he's asking us to be persistent in our prayers. And he promises to come through and meet our needs and deliver us in our times of trouble. You see, he's not grumpy, sleepy, the tired neighbor telling us to go away. No, how much greater is God than that neighbor? His reputation's at stake. And when we come knocking, he's excited to come to our rescue and to deliver us. But he wants us to stay persistent. He wants us to lay it all on the line, not for his sake, but for our sake, so that we recognize there's nowhere else to turn. I'm going to continue to go to the source, the only source that can truly meet my needs. And I'm going to keep knocking, and I'm going to keep persisting. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. So I say to you, keep asking. And it will be given to you. 
Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. My question to you this morning, if you're watching this, is simply this. What is it that you're searching for? What is it that you truly are looking for that you need? What door do you want opened in your life? Have you gone to your Father in heaven to ask? Have you gone to Him to find the answers that you need in your life? The things that you're truly longing for deep down, only God can provide those things. And yet, society and our culture and the world, it offers all kinds of alternatives. Alternatives that are designed to supposedly fill you up. To supposedly make you whole. And yet every one of them eventually fails us. Every one of those things, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's relationship, pleasure, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is that the world offers is just a false substitute to the real solution. And that's a relationship with our Father through Jesus Christ. If you're watching this morning and you don't have that relationship, you can open your heart this morning. You can pray this prayer. You can say, Lord, I recognize that you're the only one that can fill me up. Thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world to provide the example for me. But further than that, not only did he provide an example, but he gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for my sin. When he died on that cross, he died for me. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I recognize that he overcame the grave. Three days later, he rose again in the power of God. And I invite him to come in and be my Lord, be my Savior. I want to walk according to his will from this day on. No longer am I going to call the shots. No longer am I going to go to other doors to knock on. I'm going to go to him and him alone. If you've prayed that prayer and you've invited him to come in and take rule of your heart and life, I want to encourage you to reach out. Reach out to myself Online, you can find my information. You can reach out to anyone in this church. You can reach out to anyone you know that is a follower of Jesus and share that with them. They want to encourage you. They want to welcome you into the family of God. And they want to talk about next steps in your relationship with the Father. As we wrap up this morning, I want you to know that God wants you to come to Him with all of your needs. Verse 11 Jesus wraps up this section by saying, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus wants to remind us of something here in this final section of text. He wants us to remind us that the Father is good. That our Heavenly Father only gives good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And our Heavenly Father is not a trickster. He's not one of those like bait and switch guys. Right? He's not going to go, Oh, you were asking for this, but I'm going to give you this instead. Good luck with that. 
No, that's not our Heavenly Father. He loves us, and He's not going to trick us. Like a good human father, you know, if their child comes and asks for something, He doesn't give them some sort of silly trick instead that's going to harm them, that's going to cause some sort of harm or injury. No. A good father on earth, and, and, and all of us as fathers on earth can recognize we're not perfect, can recognize that we're sinful, we've done things that are wrong, and yet we have this desire to love our children. It's built into us, and we want to give good things to our children. And again, Jesus teaches this less to greater example. How much more will our, will our Heavenly Father, with all His resources, they're limitless. His resources are abundant. His love is never-ending. There's no measurement to His love for His children. How much greater then would our Heavenly Father give us? Give us all that we need to satisfy us, to fill us up, to meet our needs in every circumstance. You know, He wants us to understand that the biggest thing that He could possibly provide us in this lifetime is His Holy Spirit. We're almost on the birthday of the church. May 31st this year is the, the week of Pentecost. It was basically the time, 50 days after the resurrection, Jesus spent showing Himself for 40 of those 50 days before He ascended into heaven. And before He ascended into heaven, He said, wait here in Jerusalem. Do not leave this place because soon I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit and that's going to provide you the power. It's God living in us. It's going to provide us the power to live for Jesus Christ, to carry out His mission and His ministry in this world. And as we pray to the Heavenly Father, as we rely on the Holy Spirit day to day, we can live for Jesus Christ. We can live that out, and we can please God with our lives. That is worship. That is the very act of worship, is to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and that's the way we can worship Him. And so Jesus says, hey, wait here. Don't go anywhere. And sure enough, on Pentecost, 10 days after His ascension, they were in the upper room meeting together for prayer. And God poured out His Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 men heard the message and the good news of Jesus Christ. And they gave their hearts over to God as their Heavenly Father. It was the, one of the greatest moments of revival that's ever taken place. And I pray that if you're watching this morning, God wants to revive your life. He wants to revive our nation. He wants to revive our world. And I don't know how much more time we have because just like there was the day of Pentecost, there's going to be a day where Jesus says, that's it. It's time to come again. It's time to judge this world and take my children up to be with me where I've been preparing a place for them in heaven. And we know that once that day comes, there's going to be judgment that reigns on this earth. And I pray that before that day that you understand that Jesus loves you and that He doesn't want you to, to endure the judgment and the wrath of God. He has given His life so that you don't have to give yours. Will you receive Him this morning? Will you go to Him with your heart and with your prayers?
So May 31st is the day of Pentecost. It'll be the 1,990th birthday of the church. We are nearly 2,000 years old as the church of Jesus Christ. It's an exciting time to live. And we know that God has planted His church on earth and He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Coronavirus will not prevail against it. No matter what it is that you're facing, God will keep His promise. And just as there's still in Israel today, those were God's chosen people. Back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is still keeping His promises to Israel and He will keep His promises to the church. And so I pray that as we approach this momentous birthday of the church, I pray that we can be in the right spirit as a church, as representatives of of God and His kingdom. And so we're going to take a few moments here to really begin to seek God, to, to go to God with our hearts and with our minds together as a church family. And so we're going we're gonna to take some time to respond this morning. And so I'm going to invite Nate to come on up and Stacy, his lovely wife. I'm going to invite you guys to, to just really begin this time that we're going to enjoy as a church family of just responding to the message of God's Word. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for who you are and all you've given us in Christ. And through your Holy Spirit, you've poured out your gifts. You've poured out a blessing to us. God, we don't have to fear anymore. We can have your peace. We don't have to be sad. We can have your joy. We don't have to be grumpy. We can have your love. And God, we can just walk in the Holy Spirit each and every day. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit, no matter what circumstances we're facing. And God, we just praise you, we lift you up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.